Thanks for joining us today for the Fellowship Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit fbcpanamacity.com. Now, here's today's message. First Thessalonians chapter number two, and uh, we're going to look, let's look again at verses uh, 13 through verse number 20. The Bible says, for this calls also... Thank be God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sin always, always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. I want to continue in this uh, growing church. This will be our second part here of a growing church this morning. Let's go to him, to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so thankful that we have this wonderful opportunity to come to your house and worship you through song and and God, like, uh, like Clay said this morning, we can tell our accuser, it is enough that Jesus died for us. God, and, and Lord, we're, we're so thankful for Jesus Christ this morning and for his uh, sacrifice for us, his shed blood on the cross, because with his blood, there is remission for our sin. God, we do pray that you would be with us this morning as we get into your word, that you would, Lord, just encourage us and, and challenge us. Uh, through your word this morning. I pray that you would use me and that you would fill me with your spirit and that you would give me the words that your people need to hear today and myself. Lord, we love you and we're so thankful for you. And it's in your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In chapter number two, verses one through six, Paul begins to remind these believers uh, how he and his team came to them. Uh, they were authentic in their gospel ministry. Even though they had suffered um, in Philippi because they preached Christ, they still continued to preach Christ. Their uh, motives, and they were sincere in their motives. They weren't going to them for their own gain. Uh, they wanted to contribute. They wanted to give more than what they received. Uh, they, their ministry was driven by love. In verses 7 through 12, Paul speaks of their goal, and that was to establish a disciple-making community among the believers there in Thessalonica. And how they ministered to the Thessalonians is a great model for us uh, today in, in establishing a disciple-making community. They were gentle and affectionate. We must be gentle and affectionate one to another, amen? If we're going to develop a disciple-making community. We must show love to each other. They wanted to give more than what they received. Uh, they were 
contributors, not consumers. We all need to contribute and not just consume if we're going to have a disciple-making community. They weren't hypocritical. They tried everything uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit to practice what they preached. That's very important. And they encouraged one another to replicate, to make more disciples. And as we come to the last part of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're moving into probably one of the most warming sections of any of Paul's writings when it comes to his love and affection for fellow Christ followers. Paul reassures them that they are doing what's right. Um, And with that, with with doing what's right, uh, you will experience some growing pains. There will be pain in our growth. We're going to have our highs and we're going to have our lows. There will be persecution, but in the end, it will all be worth it. And in this passage of scripture, Paul shares with the Thessalonians the facets of a growing church. Some of these facets have some pain associated with them. Paul doesn't mean numerical growth. He means spiritual growth. And and let me say this, that my desire, I said this last week, is that Fellowship Baptist Church would be a church that spiritually grows. First and foremost, I pray that that's your desire as well. And we must all have that desire if we're going to truly be a growing church. Because we are all part of the body, right? We are the hands and the feet. Uh, We all have our own part here at Fellowship Baptist Church. And so according to this passage of scripture, um, what does a growing church look like? In order, first of all, to grow spiritually, we must first allow God's word to work in us. Uh, that's We talked about that last week, but I want to kind of dive into that a little bit deeper this morning. We must allow God's word to work within us. Look at verse number 13. He says, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. He says here, he gives two receives. He mentions two receives. These receives that he talks about are two different Greek words that are translated receive. The first receive literally means to take up with the hand. It communicates the idea that the word of God is to be taken by us, right? The second receive goes a step further. It means to welcome eagerly, or you could say to accept. So when we receive the Bible, we're saying that we acknowledge its authority. Amen? We acknowledge its authority, we, we take it in, but then when we accept it as the we accept it as the word of God and not the word of men. Understand, church, we must never treat the Bible as any other book. Let me try to say that again, because not a lot of you agreed with me. We must never treat the Bible as any other book that sits on our shelf. Because the Bible is different in its origin. The Bible is different in its character. It's different in its content. It's different in its cost. We must understand that the Bible is the very God-breathed words. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that that all Scripture is inspired by God, by the inspiration of God, meaning God breathed every word that we hold today. That, That should mean something to us this morning. God breathed every 
word, but also that it was written by men who were moved by the Holy Ghost. They were used by the Holy Spirit in 2 Peter chapter 1. You see, God's word is not just like any other book. God's word is holy. God's word is pure. God's word is perfect. You see, the Bible was written at great cost, not only to the writers, but to Jesus Christ, who became man, that the word of God might be given to us. So my question is this morning is, how do you welcome, how do you accept the Bible? You see, the Thessalonians, like Job, would have rather had the word than food. Job 23, 12 says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. They, like the psalmist, would have rather had the word than sleep. In Psalm 119, verse 148 says, Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. They said, he said, I, I will miss sleep for the word of God so I can meditate in the word. The, the Thessalonians, like the psalmist, would have rather had the word than money. The psalmist made it clear that he would rather have the word of God than, than all riches, than thousands of gold and silver, than fine gold and even great spoil. If we are going to grow spiritually here at Fellowship Baptist Church, we must welcome the word of God as the word of God and not the word of man. You see, not like it's just some ordinary book, but also we must allow it to take root in our hearts and make it a part of our lives. This church, Paul says, I'm thankful that God is working in you because of the way that you have accepted the word. You've received it for what it truly is. It is there is power in the word of God. And when we do that, when we accept it, when we allow it to in, in our lives, we accept it with that fervor, then the Bible says that it will effectually, verse number 13, work also in you that believe. You see the power, there is a lot of power in the word of God. Amen? It's a living book. But the power of God's word is tied to our believing heart. The power of God's word working in you individually is tied to your believing heart. The Greek word translated worketh is where we get our English word energy. The word is energized within us when we accept it the proper way. As we believe it, it's energized. It's like a farmland that reaps a great harvest. When we hear the message outwardly, when we read the message of God's word outwardly and we welcome it inwardly by faith, it will rejuvenate us. It will begin to work in us and produce a spiritual harvest in our lives. You see, a growing church allows God's word to work in you. Church, if we're going to be a spiritually growing church, every single one of us must start taking the word of God seriously. Reading it, studying it, growing in it. Why? Because there is power in it. And when we believe it like we should, then it effectually works within us. But the second facet of our spiritual growth isn't very fun to hear. To the extent that we experience the power of God's word within us, we will collide with a world that rejects it. We could say this, when we put, uh, we, when we believe the Bible, we're going to have enemies. When we believe the Bible, 
we will have enemies. So a part of a growing church, number two, we talked a little bit about last week, has enemies. A growing church has enemies. Look at verse 14. He says, for ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. These new believers, as a result of God's word effectually working in them, they faced opposition. They faced persecution. These new believers not only imitated Paul and Silas and Timothy and the Lord Jesus Christ, like chapter one, verse number six, but they also emulated the suffering that the churches in Judea went through. Paul's also saying here, here, he's showing them that, hey, don't be surprised by opposition. When God's word is effectually working in you, you will face opposition, just like the churches of Judea. It's a result of a growing church. You will have opposition. He says in verse number 15 and 16, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Paul says, listen, they, they have been awful to us. They killed our, the Messiah. They have killed the prophets. They have persecuted us in Philippi. They just persecuted us in your own backyard. That's why we had to flee Thessalonica. That's why we're in Corinth now. They have persecuted us. But he, he goes on to say, because they don't want the gospel to get out. They don't want the gospel to get out. We will have face opposition. There are people who do not like the truth to get out. And he says, but understand also that God has a plan for them. That, that don't worry about taking revenge or justice because by, the Bible says that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. He says their judgment is coming. Their day is coming. But understand also that as hurt as Paul was toward his enemies, he was hurt by it. He was hurt by his own countrymen, but he still loved them. He still loved them. He said that it is my desire and prayer for all of Israel that they might be saved. He loved them. And let me say this, we will have enemies because as a result of a growing community, we will face opposition, but we must love those who oppose us. Amen? We must love them. We must share the gospel with them. And also don't worry about getting revenge or justice because God will take care of them in his time and according to his will. So a growing church understands that we must, uh, we must allow God's word to work in us. We will have enemies, but also a growing church desires Christian fellowship. Look at verse number 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Paul, he says here, being taken from you. That phrase means when we were made orphans. Paul says that he was a mother to them. He was gentle. He was a father by, by exhorting them challenging them, but now he says he feels like a child that's been ripped away from his parents. He says this is the, how much he, he loved them. Remember here that, that Paul had just stayed with the Thessalonian church for just a short time, and then he had to run 
because of opposition. But he shows us here his longing for them, his, his, his desire for Christian fellowship. Let me say this, that the Christian faith must be centered on a passionate, all-consuming relationship with Christ. Amen? It must be centered on that. But the Christian faith and the Christian life must not be lived in isolation. We need each other. We need each other. And we should never settle for casual relationships among the believers. We're called to do life together. We're called to care deeply for each other. We're called to pray for one another. We're called to laugh together. We're called to cry on each other's shoulders. We need each other. And a growing church has to desire Christian fellowship. We must desire it. Spiritual growth in a church will not happen if there is no desire for Christian fellowship. You hear that? Christian growth will not happen if there is no desire for Christian fellowship. But then I want to talk about the last two today. That's all just review. All right, now we have the real message. It's not going to be that much longer. We see number four, that a growing church has an adversary. A growing church has an adversary. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says this, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. See, Paul, because of his desire for Christian fellowship, he tried again and again to reconnect with the church at Thessalonica, but it never worked out. The phrase Satan hindered us, it's a, it's a unique phrase. It means it's a, it's a military metaphor for an army that sets up a roadblock in order to stop the enemy. See, every time Paul tried to return to Thessalonica, he ran into a satanic roadblock, is what he's saying here. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically why he couldn't get back to them. Many, some people believe that it was just opposition, maybe legal difficulties, maybe it was illness, uh, travel complications, or maybe it was just a direct spiritual attack. But what we do know is that Paul attributed the blockade to Satan himself. We must remember, church, that Satan is real. Satan is real. We have a real adversary. And our adversary, the devil, does not like Christian growth. The devil, our adversary, doesn't like when we desire Christian fellowship. And he will do anything in his power to stop it. He will throw anything in your path to stop and to hinder your spiritual growth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that our adversary is the God of this world. In Ephesians chapter 2.2, it describes him as the prince of the power of the air. In John 8.44, Jesus called the devil a murderer and the father of all lies. In 1 Peter 5.8, it warns us about ignoring the reality of Satan's destructive work. He says, your enemy, the devil, is as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. In Ephesians 6.12, he reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, and against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Understand that a growing church has an adversary, and his name is Satan. He doesn't want us to spiritually grow. He hindered Paul. 
He hindered Paul from getting back. Would that have helped the Thessalonians to grow? For Paul to come back to them and continue to train them? Absolutely it would have. But be encouraged by this, that while Satan has the power to hinder and to frustrate the work of God's servants, he can only operate within the confines of what God permits. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? In other words, God allows the devil to obstruct our efforts at times, but God does not allow Satan to hinder his plan as a whole. You see, Paul recognized that Satan was keeping him from going to Thessalonica, but he understood that this was part of the providential plan of God. You know, there were actually some really good things that came out of this roadblock in Paul's life. God used this roadblock that the devil tried to, to use to accomplish God's own purposes. You see, the Thessalonians were focused to rely on God and not Paul. That's a good thing. They were focused to rely on God and not Paul. Paul couldn't go, but what happened? The believers were still growing. Why? Because they were allowing the word of God to effectually work in them. Paul wrote a letter to them that became part of scripture. Literally millions of churches over the past 2,000 years have benefited from reading and studying the books of First and Second Thessalonians. You see, if Paul wasn't faced with a barrier, who knows, we might not ever have had this section of the Bible. But understand here, church, that these believers were still able to grow because they allowed the word of God to effectually work in them. Even though they had an adversary who was trying to stop them, because because listen, friend, God is bigger than Satan, amen? And the power of God's word is greater than his opposition. But we must allow it. We must accept the word of God. We must believe it because when we believe it, we see the power of God working in us. So we see that as a growing church, yes, we have an adversary. But then lastly, I want us to see that a growing church focuses on eternity. A growing church focuses on eternity. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? He asks a question, but then he, a rhetorical question, and he answers it. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Paul asks a rhetorical question to really heighten his intense the intensity of his focus. He asked, what would be the greatest blessing that he could possibly receive at the judgment seat of Christ? And the answer was, they were. They were everything that was worth anything to Paul. They were his hope. Their spiritual growth was what he lived for as a parent lives to see their children grow up to maturity, to produce and reproduce. They were his joy as thought of, uh, as he thought of what they used to be and what they had become and what they would be by the grace of God. They were his joy. They were his crown. They, they themselves were the symbol of God's blessing on his life and his ministry. They were his glory and joy and not only his, but also the glory and joy of his companions in labor. Paul said, in essence, when life is over, When life is all over and we stand in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, 
You Thessalonians will be our source of glory and joy. You mean that much to us. You see, Paul did not look back and give in to regret and remorse. We, he, he could have very easily said after verse number 18, woe is me. I've tried so hard to get to you, but I just can't. What is, what is God doing? I don't understand his plan. I don't understand his ways. But no, he said he rejoiced in the fact that one day they would be his crown, his joy, his everything. You see, for a Christian, the best is yet to come. Paul looked ahead by faith and saw his friends in the presence of Jesus Christ in glory. That's what he was able to do. That's what helped him to get through the times of trouble and testing. Because you see, in times of trouble and testing from our adversary, it's important that we take the eternal view of things in our life. Paul lived in the future tense, but also in the present. His actions were governed by what God would do in the future. He knew that Jesus Christ would return. And on that day, the saints from Thessalonica would bring glory to God and joy to Paul's heart. As the familiar song goes, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Listen, Paul said that the saints themselves would be his crown when he met them at the judgment seat. Let me say this, church. What will you have to show for your life when you stand before Jesus Christ? You see, a growing church focuses on the eternal things. They focus on the eternal things. Those that we can win to Christ who can be our joy and crown and hope. Listen, what will it be? What will you have to show for your life? Will it be a good job? Lord, I got a really good job. Will it be a college degree? I worked really hard for this degree. Will it be money? Lots of money. Will it be lots of friends, a nice car, a good reputation, a nice family? All of those things are, are good things. There's nothing wrong with those things for here and now. But listen, what eternal crown will you have? It was Howard Hendricks who said this. He said, only two things in this world are eternal. The word of God and people. It only makes sense to build your life around these things that will last forever. There's only two things that will last for eternity, the word of God and people. Understand, listen, if that's the case, then we better make sure that the Bible is in us, amen? And that we are investing our lives in people. Because what a growing church does is, yes, we face opposition and yes, we have an adversary, but we have a word of God that is more powerful and greater than those things. And the word of God will effectually work in us if we believe it, if we see it for what it is. And if we have the right focus and we focus on the eternal things, we can get through anything here on this earth because it will be worth it. Church, if we're serious about growing, if we're serious about having a healthy, Christ-honoring, spiritually growing church, then we must make sure that the word of God is within us. Amen? Are you serious about growing spiritually? Are you serious about God working here at Fellowship Baptist Church? 
then the word of God must be in us. Not only that, but we must persevere when the enemies of God are upon us. We must gather the people of God around us. Carry on when the adversary of God is against us and focus on the future rewards of God before us. Church, I desire, it's my heart's desire that we have a growing church and understand today that if that's your desire as well, we will face opposition. There will be growing pains as we grow together in Christ Jesus here at Fellowship Baptist Church. But let's allow God's word to effectually work within us and let us focus on the eternal things. Because when we do those things, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Fellowship Baptist Church. Come visit us at 2501 Michigan Avenue, Panama City, Florida. For more information, check out fbcpanamacity.com. Have a great week.